back tonight. It's good to be here. It's good to have you all. I'm going to begin our study on Acts chapter 16, the end of that chapter where we left off last time. And seeing the events that the Holy Spirit has orchestrated, and so we pray. We need to be in prayer in concert. You know, you talk about praying in the Spirit. It's not some wild, crazy mannerism of prayer. It's praying in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. And we need to we need to be in tune with Him, in concert with Him as we pray. And so one of the things that remind us of that is Paul and Silas as they were arrested in, in that jail and they began to, to sing and to praise. And they were in tune with the Holy Spirit. They uh, I wonder what they would have prayed for during that time. I would imagine they'd be praying for that the gospel outreach would go strong, that they will be bold in their testimony, even though that they have suffered uh, uh, persecution for, for the sake of Christ. And that prayer was answered with the earth, earthquake and the gospel going out and people getting saved. In fact, let's look at that one who, who responded. <coughs> It's the jailer, and what we see in him is, is a, a, a dramatic change in his life. Look at verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. There he's about to take his life. Everything is revolving around his, his failed responsibility, as so he saw it. And so uh, he thought it'd be better to, to die by his own means than wait for the sure death that was going to come as a punishment for uh, the jailers being loose. But then something happens in his heart. Verse 30, verse 29, the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's an amazing uh, verse in Scripture to me. Um, because it shows the work of the Holy Spirit in his heart and what, what was God's instrument for that work. The Holy Spirit works, but God uses his word and he uses messengers to, to, to speak that word. And it was Paul and Silas and their message. We're not given all of the words that they said there that night, but we're giving, uh, given a tone uh, for what it is they did and what they said. And the tone was, in spite of persecution, they were praising God. They were worshiping God. And in fact, they weren't worshiping in a church like we do tonight. They were worshiping in jail. They were worshiping God in jail. In, in the midst of their trying circumstances, they were worshiping God. And so the word of God was going out strong, and it had a huge impact. So we're told one of this jailer we see what he does they answer verse 31 they said believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household what prompted him to ask that question what must I do to be saved was probably the strong message that had gone out with the strong testimony of life that had supported it the testimony was their behavior in jail after being beaten uh, unjustly and there was a um, uh, there, there, there had to be a strong gospel-centered message that pointed these, this man 
to trust in Christ. What we'll see that it coming up in the next chapter of how it how it's stated more explicitly. So let's let's continue on. Verse thirty-two. Look what it says. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. So this doesn't happen magically or in a vacuum. It happens in in the speaking of the word of God, the living of the word. And so that's what Paul and Silas did. They began to speak the word to him, and not only to him to all who were in his house. So the jailer was responsible for keeping the jail, and uh, he, he probably lived right above that place. So his whole household was there, probably his servants, probably uh, his own family, his children, and, and so forth. Um, but the gospel was spoken to them. Verse 33, look at his changed behavior. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So he trusted Christ. Um, he, 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 he made a, um, a profession, uh, a profession of his faith. In other words, something publicly that he acknowledged that he was now trusting in Christ. And his whole behavior showed it. Now he's washing wounds that he himself inflicted. He's washing them now. So he has a changed attitude towards God's people, mainly towards Paul and Silas. And uh, it, it picture that we get of a changed life um, because of faith in Christ. Verse 34, then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. <laughs> Prison food wasn't good enough. <laughs> Paul and Silas come eat in my house. Um, God has changed my heart, and I now uh, welcome you. How is your hospitality, by the way? Uh, are you welcoming uh, God's people into your home? Is that a part of your practice? You enjoy the fellowship of God's people, not just in church, but in your, in your whole life. And this, this man was impacted by that. Look at the end of verse 34. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God not something that he regretted doing. It's something that he, gospel didn't just impact him, but it had impacted him and his entire household. Later on in the chapter, um, the leaders come and they, they want to release Paul, but he says, hey, no, 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 don't just release me in secret. I'm not going to just walk out of here in secret. You come and release me and do it publicly. Now, why is he going to do this? He's going to do this because he, what, what Paul is doing is for the gospel's sake. He is not just trying to legitimize himself for himself's sake, for his own sake. He, is, he, is, he wants the believers there in Philippi to, to understand, not only believers, but all the unbelievers as well, that his behavior was not wrong. The gospel is not something that, that is against um, government or against Caesar or against any of that. Uh, he hadn't violated any principles there. He was wrongly uh, punished and, and persecuted. And he wanted that to go out so that his testimony would be clear. And that's why he asked for that. I want to go into chapter 17. It says, Now when they had passed through Epipolis and Apoll Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving Christ to suffer 
and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Isn't that the gospel there? Now Paul's life is, is, is in the generation of Christ. He would have lived at the same time that Christ lived. He came to faith after Christ was crucified and resurrected, but he lived in that same time period. So you can imagine um, the things that were going on in, in his day. Um, what was happening in the Jewish circles, they had rejected the Lord Jesus and his claim to be the promised one of God from the Old Testament. That's what Jesus' claim was. He claimed it and he proved it in everything that he did. And Paul was simply saying, look, this Jesus who you have seen is the one that the Old Testament writes about and who God proclaims to be the promised one, the Messiah, the deliverer. And so he goes through the Old Testament teachings and, and proves to them, uh, verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Now, why was that important? It's because they, the Jews could not envision a Savior um, who, who would die and, and, and not reign immediately. They, they, they were looking at, you know, we'll see in our Christmas story, here it says in, in, in Matthew chapter 2, where is this one who's to be born king of the threatened by a king? Um, and, and he didn't want really a king to come because he was in charge. But that's what the Jews were looking for, king of the Jews. Now, the problem with the Jews' expectation, it just wasn't big enough. Jesus was not just king of the Jews. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. And the Old Testament proclaims him that way. It's, it's a Moses who says, there's coming a prophet after me that you're going to bow down to. He is going to be the one. All the prophets spoke of, of, of a coming deliverer. And you go through the Old Testament. Uh, we're going through, we've gone through judges, and we see the judges that came to deliver Israel. They were all pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the greatest leaders in Israel, you see Moses, Joshua, means Jesus saves, or Jehovah saves, actually. Um, and so they, they were all pictures of this one who was to come. John the Baptist was pointing to Jesus. This is the one. The problem the Jews had was, they're like, really? When is he going to then get, get an army and beat down the Roman government and bring us back into prominence? That's what they were looking for. They did not understand God's plan. And God's plan included this, this, this important parenthesis where the promised one, the deliverer of all of God's people, Jew and Gentile, anyone who would trust in Christ, this deliverer would actually be killed. He'd be killed for an important point. He'd be killed to pay for sin. That's what God's plan was, to, to, to pay for mankind's sin. And so the Old Testament is, is, is laying this out but it took, uh, it took faith and it took the Holy Spirit impressing his word on people's hearts to open their eyes to what God's plan was. And they didn't see it. And so they rejected Jesus. Paul goes back to the Old Testament and says, you guys missed it. You missed it. This Jesus is the one. 
that, that, that the world has no problem seeing being born in a manger and, and being a humble baby and a child. This Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is God's answer. He is God's deliverer. So this is the gospel that, that Paul was preaching. And so we pray, we pray that God's message will go out through us still. Paul made a practice of reasoning with his people because they met in the synagogues on Saturday. He was there to meet with them and to reason with them. Let's pray that we would show them through scripture, show them through history, show them through all that, that, that God's plan is, that this Jesus is the one that they are to trust, to, trust in and commit their lives to. We can show them mainly by example. He's Jesus, our Lord, and we submit our lives to him. Everything we do is, is about him and for his glory. That's why we're in church tonight. That, that, that's why we serve the way that we do and, 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 and want to serve even more fervently because Jesus is King of kings. He's Lord of lords, and, and he is personally our Lord. And we need to live that testimony out. We need to pray that God will use our testimony to impact others so that they might, too, come to trust in, in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Even saints. In our meditation, we'll be continuing through the book of Hebrews, a challenging part of the book. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And it becomes less useful. And as I get a knife like that, it becomes harder and harder to use. So then what does it mean to be dull of hearing? this a threat to? Well, I like to say that it's a threat to those who come on Wednesday nights. It's a threat to those who come on Sunday nights. It's not a threat to those who don't come to Sunday school, who don't really come to read God's word because they're not used enough to be made dull. The threat to become dull of hearing is a threat to those of us who hear God's word enough to lose and all for it. There's a saying that has a lot of wisdom and it says this, familiarity breeds contempt. What does that mean? We can become um, too used to the miracles of God. We can become too used to the things of God where we actually are surprised when God does a work. Now, here's the thing, and I and I can become like that too. You see people come to the church, and the first thought, God, that faker, all oh, this and that, right? And as you start to think like that, and the, the, why do you think like that? Because 99% of the people who do come in are not going to live right, right? 
but I'm going to say this. I don't think most people who would come to church who are unsaved have any intention of living right, but that's not going to have anything to do with God's purpose. Right? So, in our looking at man's pattern, we can overlook God's purpose. And so what will happen is, the first thing about the dullness is it comes from those who hear God's word, but instead of learning to appreciate it, they learn to get tired of it. But the second thing that happens is, as you take God's word, you don't try to progress. It says one who lives on milk. Now that's, I think, should be a slam, right? If we live on milk. And what does it mean to live on milk? That means you started in the first grade and eight years later, you're still in the first grade. And what it means is you haven't challenged yourself. Now, what does it mean to be dull? If a knife is dull, it's because when it hit the bone, it hit the bone and it stopped and nobody stopped to sharpen it. And to sharpen something, you have to grind it down. It's not an easy process, right? So I think of ourselves like that as we go through our spiritual walk if when we hit difficulties we stop at the difficulty we will be made more dull if we hit that difficulty and say you know what I need to sharpen I gotta tighten this up a little bit we can progress it says solid food is for the mature for those who have the, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And what does that mean? Well, discernment, and I think of like my grandma Hope, who's very got a lot of discernment. And I think of my dad, who has a lot of discernment. What does discernment does it come from? What is, first off, what is discernment? Discernment is the ability to tell the difference between good and evil, right? So how do you gain the ability like some people to say, man, I just sensed something was wrong with him. How do you do that? How do you get to that point where you say, man, it, this ability of discernment is almost magical. It's constant practice, right? Constant practice. It's constantly looking. And if you read it, you see a commercial. Why is it there? Somebody's talking to you. Why are they doing that? Why are they talking like that? Somebody came to church. Why did they come to church this day? They don't come to church the next week. Why? as we ask ourselves those questions and as we get to those answers, discernment is being trained, right? But the moment we start to stop, I want to go through it right before Thanksgiving, so that's why I moved to a different scripture before Thanksgiving. But it's one of those ones that challenges you, doesn't it? It's not, this is a scripture again, it's not for the unfaithful, it's for the faithful. Go to the gym and it's easy, it's not doing you any good. It's only when you wake up the next day and you're a little bit sore that you know you did something, right? All right, tonight, I know it's going to be a lot of speaking to the choir. Um, Wednesday night, usually it's a faithful crew. and just doing Basically, the, for the month of November, we missed our goal by like $2,800. Um, tonight's offer is like seven, um, to begin with, so don't, don't be, feel convicted on that. But um, just my goal as a treasurer, what I would like to see is a point where we can get as a church where we don't have to rely on grace partners, don't have to resolve to use that to fund our ministries. 
that that's extra that we can use towards doing more, or even use it towards like some of the pressing issues we have going, like the roof, which is very expensive. Um, like to date, because of the shortfalls we've had to the of the year, we've basically expended all of that they gave us last year only on operating budget. So it's just a shame, you know. Um, every year at the the annual meeting, we agree on the budget. We say we want to spend this much money, which means that we have to give that much money to fund it. And we're not doing that. We're not hitting those needs. And there's things that have not gotten um, to be the money to be used for. I mean, an example of one is the missionary fund that we wanted to put together because we're not getting the funds to support those things. So um, I just really want to kind of just, one, encourage you to continue doing what you're doing. I want you to, to encourage you to remember to let the other people that we see on Sundays to continue to faithfully give, and if able, to give more than you have been so that we can get that to that point where we're no longer relying on somebody else to fund our ministry, that it's God's people. It's God's people in this church. Okay? So then we'll have two people pray. Um, just pray for the financial state of our church, and I will close it. shortfall of our finances and your people that you continue to keep them encouraged and you continue to um, grow that heart at our finances and we know you are able to sustain this ministry further and sustain it without us but we are called to um, faithfully give part are your cheerful faithful givers bless them more financially that they can continue to give more that they have that extra money that they are able to struggle and continue to give and give more faithfully Lord that they're not having um, the the issues of this world and the bog, bogging down early finances is something that um, makes them hesitant to cheerfully give for you. We ask that you continue to um, grow this ministry into next year and continue to um, just do good things and large things through this church. In your name.